Our scripture reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. Uh, Momentarily, I'll be preaching from the Gospel of John chapter 7, and this particular passage uh, anticipates uh, that passage in John's Gospel. This is the word of the Lord. Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of that place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? This is God's word. Dear Lord, once again, thank you for this opportunity and privilege we have today to uh, join in your house of worship. And we are thankful, thankful for Dr. Norfleet and the short notice, dear Lord, and that he was able to come and share your message. And as he delivers that message, dear Lord, we just ask that you open our hearts and our minds and, and learn how to apply it to our lives and that we can go into this wor- world and share it, dear Lord, and learn to live for you more. And we just thank you for all the blessings you have given us. This we ask in your name. Amen. Amen. I have found in uh, almost 34 years of ministry that when you are in the fog of war, you're seeking to live the Christian life, and it's a battle. And in the fog of war, it's very easy to get confused, to lose your balance, to forget who the Lord is and what the Lord says and what the Lord does. And in the midst of the fog of war, you need a simple word from the Lord, a word that is accessible, a word that is very memorable, a word that is easy to access, a word that orients you to reality, orients you to the real world in which you wake up and live and struggle, a word that brings forth a promise from the Lord, a word that bids for your heart to believe, to trust, and obey. 
Over many years, this particular passage, John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39, has been that word for me. And it's my privilege to offer it to you this morning as a word on which you can hope in the fog of war exactly when you need it, right then, right there in the battle as you seek to live the Christian life. I'm reading this morning from the English Standard Version. There are a couple of translations offered by the English Standard Version. You'll notice if you're following along in your Bible, there's a footnoted alternative translation, and that's the translation that I'll be leaning on because, as I'll mention later in uh, the course of the sermon, uh, the text can be understood in two different ways. John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me, and let him who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for revealing who you are and what you say and what you do in Jesus. And you do this through the scriptures. And we know that the Holy Spirit works together with your word to open the eyes of our hearts, to soften, to pierce, to speak a word of hope, to speak truth in love. And we come to you in full dependence upon your presence and power. Meet us, help us, save, sanctify us, even as we consider this text this morning, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The text is short. It's fairly straightforward, but it's very rich. Let's consider it in three steps. First of all, we'll look at the occasion. Second of all, we'll look at the proclamation. And finally, we'll consider the Apostle John's own interpretation. First of all, consider the occasion. On the last day of the feast, the great day, verse 37. The text is referring to the Feast of Tabernacles. You can learn about this in Leviticus chapter 23 from the Old Testament. It was a week-long feast in the fall, about mid-October by our calendar. 
And it was a great feast of thanksgiving, God's people giving thanks to the Lord for sending the rain from heaven to produce the harvest of grapes and olives in the fall. But it was so much more. It was a feast that looked back to God's saving work in the past and a feast that looked forward to God's greater work in the future. And it was a feast that was filled with very vivid symbolism of three types specifically. First of all, the people came to Jerusalem and camped in little huts. Kids, you would love this. Can you imagine for one week coming with mom and dad to the great city of Jerusalem and building a little hut, happy campers for one week? And you would grab branches from myrtle trees and willow trees. And you would build this little hut. And it was a signpost. Living in this little tent for a week was designed to instruct God's people, look back and remember the day when I pitched my tent among you. Remember the day when I delivered you out of the land of Egypt, out of the bondage to slavery, and I dwelt among my people in the wilderness. Look back and remember, but don't only look back, look forward. Because the day is coming when I will dwell among you forever. It was a signpost. Secondly, The people came daily to worship at the temple. The temple of God was constructed in such a way that in intricate and very beautiful ways, there were pointers to the Garden of Eden. As God's people came to the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, it was a signpost. Look back and remember the Garden of Eden where there was fellowship, where there was uninterrupted relationship with the Lord. Look back and remember the garden, but don't only look back, look forward. Because the day is coming when I will bring you back into the land of the living, the land of the garden, the land of uninterrupted fellowship with the Lord your God. It was a second signpost. But kids, this was my favorite. A third signpost. The high priest led the people of God through a dramatic liturgy. The priest would take a pitcher and he would lead a procession down to the pool of Siloam and the people would follow. And he would dip the pitcher into the pool And then he would lead the people back to the temple. And the people would shout the very words that I used from God's word in Isaiah to call us to worship. The people would shout, lift up your hand. And the priest would pour water into a basin to the west. 
and wine into a basin to the east. And the people would shout from Isaiah chapter 12, you will draw water with joy from the wells of salvation. And this would happen once a day for six days. But on the last day, the great day of the feast, they would do it all over again seven times. It was a signpost that was to train God's people to look back and remember the saving waters that flowed from the rock of Moses in the wilderness. But it was also a signpost that taught God's people to look forward to a greater day to anticipate saving waters that will flow from the final temple. The prophets could stand on tiptoe and they could see the fulfillment of Isaiah's promise from a distance. Isaiah chapter 35, one of the most beautiful passages in all of scripture. Do not fear. Your God will come. Waters will gush forth in the wilderness. Then will the eyes of the blind be open. Then will the ears of the deaf be unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Isaiah 35. Zechariah chapter 14. He could see it from a distance. On that day, living waters will flow from Jerusalem, Ezekiel 47, this vision of water flowing from the new temple. Kids, do you remember this story? This, this water begins leaking out of the back of God's temple into a stream. And at first it's, it's ankle deep. And then it keeps flowing and it becomes knee deep. And then it keeps flowing and it becomes way steep. And then it keeps flowing until you can swim in this river that flows from the temple. And Ezekiel, the prophet, says, wherever the river goes, everything will live. Are you thirsty? You come here this morning, and this passage raises the question, are you thirsty? In the Bible, thirst is a metaphor, a symptom of living in the wilderness. To be thirsty is to be wide awake to spiritual realities. You know yourself to be poor in spirit. You know yourself to face a double trouble. You know that on the one hand, there is evil that happens to you. You wake up in the real world and you suffer. That's part of the human condition, isn't it? Things swirling around you that press against you. Sometimes it's drip, drip, drip. Other times it's sudden and catastrophic. Evil happens to you. And so you thirst 
for God's shelter. You thirst for God's comfort. Are you thirsty this morning because you have suffered hardship? Perhaps recently you've suffered great loss. Perhaps you're in a very difficult relationship and words are spoken to you that hurt, that pierce like a sword. And you're thirsty for consolation. That's only part of the human condition. There's a deeper part of the human condition. Not only do we suffer, but we struggle with the deepest problem of sin. It's not only the problem of evil happening to me, it's also the problem of evil living within me and overflowing from me. Do you ever get entangled by a particular lust, a bitterness, a grudge, and you find yourself living for yourself You know, I'm the pastor of counseling and congregational care at Harvest Church, and one of the things that the men really struggle with is is anger. And they're grieved that sin living in me overflows and does damage to the people that they care about. And they long for transformation. Are you thirsty? Do you not thirst because of the woes and wanderings that is part of the human condition? Where will we find water to quench our thirst? If you are thirsty, I want you to to notice and watch carefully because there is a person sitting down who is about to stand up. Secondly, we've considered the occasion. Consider, secondly, the proclamation. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and let him who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Verses 37 and 38. Notice two things. First of all, to the one who is thirsty, Jesus gives a command. Let the thirsty one come to me. He's speaking the truth in love to you. He's speaking a word of rescue. He understands the human plight And he speaks truth in love to rescue. Let the thirsty one come to me. Because Jesus understands that suffering and sin has a way of turning you inside and down. And Jesus is speaking a word to us to call us out of ourselves up to him. Come to me. Come to me. Let the thirsty one come to me. And also, let the one who believes in me drink from me. He's speaking a word of hope to refresh us. How do we come? Not with feet, but with faith, with trust, with belief. This time about 11 years ago, 
my family, my mom and my two younger sisters, we knew that my father was dying of pancreatic cancer. And in the last week of his life, he gave me a picture of what it means to believe in Jesus. With each passing day, he became increasingly thirsty and he only longed for a sip of cold water. And he became so weak that we had to hold up the glass of water to his lips. And all that was left for him to do was to receive, to take it in. That's what Jesus means by coming and believing. You see, the solution to our woes and our wanderings is a relational transaction. It's not turning in on ourselves, but it's turning outward to a living redeemer, a person, and having an honest conversation. I have a need, and you, you can help me, and you want to help me, and so I come to you, and I open wide my heart to you, and I receive from you what you promise to give to me, I believe. I love how beautifully and simply the psalmist puts it in Psalm 119, verse 94. I am yours. Save me. And notice, we're not working to earn a wage from Jesus. We're trusting to receive a free gift from Jesus. This relational transaction. Notice secondly, not only does Jesus give us a command, but to the one who is thirsty, Jesus makes a promise. As the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, one of the interpretive questions in this particular text is out of whose heart? The Greek text allows for two possible translations. Some take his heart to refer to the Christian, the believer, the person who comes to Jesus by faith. But I believe that more accurately is referring to what's going on in John chapter 4 where Jesus gives to this woman living water and out of her heart flows living water given to all of her friends in the town. But something else is going on in this particular text. Jesus is referring to the Old Testament scriptures and the Old Testament scriptures never refer to the believer as the source of living water. And what is more, in John's gospel, we find this recurring pattern where Jesus comes to fulfill and replace the Old Testament symbols. For example, King Solomon built the temple as God's dwelling place in Jerusalem. But Jesus comes 
And the apostle John tells us in chapter one, God became flesh and dwelt among us. That is to say, Jesus is God's true and God's final temple. He fulfills everything that the temple symbolized. Or Moses, for example, made a bronze snake in the wilderness and he put it up on a pole. And when anyone was snake bitten, they were to look upon the bronze snake and they lived. But Jesus comes and in John chapter three, Jesus says, I must be lifted up on the pole. I must be lifted up on the cross so that everyone who believes in me may have eternal life. Or God sends manna from heaven to feed the Israelites. Remember that, kids? But Jesus comes. And in John chapter 6, our Savior says, I am the living bread who came down from heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Do you see what's going on here? In the same way, Jesus comes to fulfill and replace the Old Testament symbols on display on the last and great day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Watch closely. On the last and great day of the feast, in the midst of all of this dramatic liturgy, can you imagine? Jesus stands and shouts out as if to say, I am the fulfillment of of all that this feast commemorates and anticipates. Every year you come to Jerusalem and every year the waters run dry. But today is the day that you've anticipated. I am the better rock of Moses. I am the true and final temple and from my heart will flow to your heart rivers of living water. So if anyone is thirsty, let her come to me. Let him come to me. And let the one who believes in me drink. Are you thirsty? Is your neighbor thirsty? Your next door neighbor. You know, I have learned as a pastor, I drive through neighborhoods and I talk to people regularly in counseling situations and I know that behind every door there is a story. And I know that your neighbors are thirsty. They're suffering from that double trouble. There's evil happening to them and there's evil welling up within them. And they're thirsty and they're looking for salvation. Where will they go? What water will quench their thirst? You know, at best, the world can only offer a partial relief. But Jesus gives the water that truly sustains sufferers and truly transforms sinners because this water goes right down to their soul. We've considered the occasion. We've considered the proclamation. Let's consider finally John's own interpretation. Verse 39. Now this Jesus said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive for as yet the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. 
want you to notice two things. The gift of living water, the Apostle John says, is the Holy Spirit of the living God. And in John chapter 14, Jesus is speaking to his disciples the night of his betrayal, and he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, the Holy Spirit of truth. And then on the other hand, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And Jesus is teaching us that the work of the Holy Spirit is so closely identified with the person and work of our Lord Jesus himself that to have the Holy Spirit is to have Jesus himself. That's why the Apostle Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 3. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, God would strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ might dwell in your heart through faith. And notice secondly, the way the gift of the Holy Spirit comes to us. It's through the way Jesus is glorified. Now from one perspective, Jesus was glorified on Sunday when God raised him from the dead. But in John's gospel, he has a different perspective. In John's gospel, Jesus is seen to be especially glorious on Friday when he is lifted up on the cross for his people. Kids, recall the scene. I read it just a few minutes ago from Exodus chapter 17. The Israelites are traveling through the wilderness. They're grumbling against Moses. And God commands Moses to take in his hand the rod of judgment. Remember the rod with which he struck the Nile in judgment? God tells Moses to take the rod of judgment and walk in front of the people. Don't strike the people, but walk in front of the people. Don't strike the people with the rod. Instead, Moses is to do something else. God says to Moses, I will identify myself with the rock. Don't strike the people, strike the rock. And Moses did so. And out of the rock of Moses came rivers of living water. Do you see what's happening here? This is the gospel. Jesus Christ is the true rock who receives God's judgment on the cross. The people grumbled against God in the wilderness, testing him, saying, is the Lord for us or not? Let me ask you this morning. Is the Lord for you or not? All we need to do is take a long look. All we need to do is to survey the wondrous cross on Friday. Do you see on the cross how Jesus is most glorified as the Lord who is with you and for you? Do you see Jesus on the cross trading places with you? 
Do you hear Jesus on the cross saying, I am thirsty? John chapter 19. He goes into the desert and he comes under God's curse. And because Jesus comes under God's curse, all of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ come under God's blessing. From the death of Jesus comes the life of Jesus, the very Holy Spirit of Jesus, to everyone who believes in Jesus. Is West Michigan not thirsty? I was so excited to learn about your upcoming conference on evangelism. A moment where we can learn how to offer the Lord Jesus Christ to West Michigan because they're thirsty looking for true consolation, looking for true transformation. And I promise you, this week you're going to find yourself waking up and walking into the wilderness, and this week you're going to find yourself thirsty, and this week you're going to need a word of hope to orient you and to remind you who Jesus is, what Jesus gives. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. Because Jesus has lived for us. Jesus has been judged for us. Jesus has been raised for us. Jesus has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, out of my heart will flow this week to your heart rivers of living water. I want you to remember that Wednesday morning when you're at the fork in the road and you need help, you need Jesus right then, right there to help you respond well. He gives his very spirit to help us. So if anyone is thirsty, let them come to Jesus and let the one who believes in him drink. From his heart will flow to your heart rivers of living water. Let me pray for us. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you are for us and not against us. We thank you that you trade places with us. You become thirsty on the cross as you suffer and pay the penalty for our sins in order that we might live. We pray that you would help us to remember this word of hope this week as we move into our various callings and that it would give comfort and your promise would find fulfillment as we trust in you, that you would give us a fresh measure of your spirit to sustain us in our sufferings and to transform us from our sin. And this we ask in Jesus' name, amen.